0: And so we are continuing into the second week of uh, the fruits of the kingdom, and what we're talking about specifically is generosity, uh, generosity being a significant fruit of the kingdom of God. Uh, and so last week, uh, we looked at uh, John the Baptist and what his message was uh, and how he, he taught, and when you read the book of Luke you realize that uh, he focused really on two things. He focused on money, and he uh, focused on sexual relationships. He got imprisoned for the sexual relationships and ultimately beheaded. Uh, But when people asked, what must we do to repent? What must we do to show that we are in God's kingdom? Uh, John, in preparing for Jesus, said things like, well, if you've got two extra tunics, then why don't you give one? Why don't you... Try not blackmailing people. Why don't you be honest about the fees that is uh, uh, given to you? And, and so a lot of it was about being generous. And so from last week uh, in our study together, we talked about Christ dependent hearts, and, and how when the kingdom of God comes into a heart, generosity starts to flow. And so we saw that generosity flows from Christ dependent hearts, that generosity flows from Christ obedient hearts, that generosity flows from Christ identified hearts, and then how generosity flows from Christ expectant hearts. And, and so this is uh, something that was preparing the way. And, and so what I want to do uh, is we're going to spend today. And the next couple Sundays, really looking in the book of Luke, and uh, there's a lot of things that Jesus says about money. It's amazing uh, what he says all over the place. But I'm just picking some passages where he identifies how we use money and God's kingdom, uh, the fruits of the kingdom. And so what it primarily looks like uh, when the kingdom of God uh, is in your heart and your heart is obedient to the king, It flows out in your pocketbooks through generosity. And so uh, we're going to look today at Luke chapter 12. So I encourage you to turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 12 uh, as we go there. Uh, And last week I I just shared with you how I used an example of my granddad, uh, who was a lifelong frugal man, uh, very careful. Uh, with how he used his money and goods and was a consummate saver, but he also was a model to me of a giver, uh, many times unknowingly would give generously, uh, and watching the end of his life, how the money, the nest egg that he had saved up, really just went to primarily, well, assisted living, to the tune of $4,400 a month. Uh, that goes in are actually could be more than that, uh, depending on where you go. Sometimes that's a week uh, when you're looking at things, and you think, well, what are you going to do with all this money you're saving? And, and you're actually going to send it to assisted living. And so the, the ideal is if you can have your breath run out at the time your last dollar runs out. Wouldn't that be great? Um, but the, the system that we live in isn't configured that way. And uh, basically what they're trying to do is drain you of your nest egg as quickly as possible, get you on Medicare, and then you just kind of live out from there. Um, And that's kind of the system we're in. Who knows what it'll be like when you get to that age. Uh, But the thing of of that is to understand that what granddad was only able to keep when it was all said and done are the things that he gave. Those are the only things he was able to keep, and so when we look at this video and realize there is a limited amount of time for every single one of us, it's what we do to outlive our life, as that saying goes, uh, that we can do that according to the Bible, Uh, and so that's what I want to go to in uh, Luke chapter 12 as we look at this, and I know when we talk about stewardship, when we talk about generosity, I'm a pastor, I'm in a church setting, and Yes, we've adjusted did our budget, and yes, it's an increase of a budget to the tune of about three hundred dollars more a week in addition to what we have been doing, so you're like, "Okay, pastor, this is great. you're just boosting up uh the budget yep, yep, but uh there's much more to that. In fact, I would say that if you have uh problems with your in, with giving to this church that you need to give wherever you worship uh, that is something that we see in the Bible to give where you worship but if Uh, If you just have problems, fine. Find somewhere else to give that is kingdom building, but let it be said that there is generosity in your heart, and generosity is much more than 10%. This is the 100% of all that God has entrusted to you. How are you characterized with the use of that money? So it's much more uh, than just a budget. Um, It's your heart, it's your attitude, and so let's go to Luke chapter 12 uh, as we read this, and there's a lot, there's easily four sermons here, easily, I'm doing this in one, Lord willing, and uh, so we're going to start, uh, I'm going to start actually reading with verse 13, then we're going to focus primarily on 22 uh, through 34, so in honor of this being God's word, I'm just to ask that we stand as we read this, recognizing these words of Jesus, the word of God, Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Doesn't that sound familiar? Um, My brother's not sharing. (laughs) But he said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? In other words, I'm, I'm just not going there. That's not what my life is about. And he said to them, take care. Be on your guard against all covetousness. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? Do not seek what you are to eat, what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world, seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and all these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions, and give to the nitty. Provide yourself with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You may be seated. It's interesting when you read this chapter and how Luke's compiled and brought everything together in certain themes Uh, before the passage that we read he's hitting on these these themes of don't be afraid don't be afraid when people try to hurt you even try to kill you don't be afraid when people are asking you to speak up for your faith don't be afraid in these moments and now he's talking about this issue where ultimately he's saying don't love money instead be generous don't be afraid about that and he's going to give us Some reasons why not to be afraid. And then if you read the next part, if you just were hanging on and reading verse 35 through 48, he's going to talk about what to do and be when the Lord comes back. How do you get ready for the kingdom to come when the king comes back to the earth? And I think one of the things I would point to you, that what Luke is saying as one significant way of being ready when the Lord comes back is that you will be generous with the resources that God gives you. Interesting enough, you have in this next passage that we didn't read, that passage where he talks about those who have little, well, uh, little will be required, but those who have much, much will be demanded of them. And so I think there is a, uh, a, a big point that Luke is bringing out of how to get ready for the Lord's return is to take the resources that God gra- grants to you and uses them for the kingdom. So uh, first I want to just talk a little bit about uh, what, well, this, this idea of kingdom giving. Uh, what, what is this kingdom giving? What keeps us from kingdom giving? But notice how uh, Jesus addresses this. When he talks about this man, this young guy or whoever it is, that comes and says, hey, can you make my brother share my possessions? Uh, and Jesus is saying, look, I'm not going to go there. That's not my issue. But let me just warn you about something, about having this love of money, of covetousness. Uh, Now, if I was to ask you, uh, how many of you are rich, would you please raise your hand? I'm going to say it rhetorically because I know good and will, if I ask that realistically, no one's going to raise their hand. I mean, who's going to brag about that? But then whoever really thinks they're rich? Or how many of you would say that, uh, you know, I struggle with covetousness. I, I struggle... With the love of money. Um, One of the things that Jesus is saying. Notice how he phrases this. Watch out. Be on guard. You see this in verse 15. Be on guard. Watch out. Because it has this tendency of sneaking up on us. Jesus is simply saying. When he says watch out. Be on guard. He is bringing out this idea. That you can fall into covetousness. You can fall into love of money. And not even know it. It sneaks into your life. So, I would just bring first to every one of you here, it doesn't really matter if you have a job, if you are uh, 10, or 7, or 90, it doesn't really matter, but I would just say to you, be open to the idea that you might struggle more than you think with the love of money. Let's just start right there. Can you agree to that? I'm going to be open to that, all right? Last week, we ended with the thought, let's pray. Maybe we don't, we're not generous, but we want to pray that God wants us to be generous. So if we want to agree with, with God and saying I want that, we might need to first look at what keeps us from kingdom giving, all right? I, I was, There's was a, a book called The Overspent American, written by this lady named Juliet Shore. Uh, The Overspent American. She brings out this idea that one of the things that's different about today is that we no longer are divided up so much in in economic classes. That that we are more divided by our preferences, our interests. And so what that means is that we will rub shoulders with people of all different economic classes and we will rub shoulders with them because we are focused on one interest. And so it could very well be that I uh, rub shoulders with someone who makes considerably less than me, and someone that makes considerably more than me, but we'll all be interested in the same type of stuff, the same type of art, or the same type of, of tools. And, and, and what that means, though, is that we can always find someone exposed to us through media, through TV, or just rubbing shoulders with us, who makes significantly more than we do. And so there's this impact that we walk away with, man, I am just not making enough. Because there's always someone else that's making more around us. In fact, uh, in their book, uh, there was an empirical study where they found that only one-third of American households that make more than $100,000 a year can agree with this statement. I can afford to buy everything I really need. So what does that mean? Two-thirds of people who make hundred thousand dollars or more. Two-thirds of those cannot say that I really afford I can afford to buy everything I need. And they're making 100,000 dollars plus, two-thirds of people in America. So if we were all making 100,000 dollars, which we're not, um, but if we all were, then just maybe 30 would say, yeah, I've got enough. The rest of us would be kind of wanting a little bit more. Now, what does that say when the wealthiest people in the wealthiest country in the history of the world believe they can't afford all they really need? I'm just going to present to you that covetousness sneaks up on us. Okay? Love of money... Is sneaking into our heart and mind. So let me just say with Jesus to you, watch out. Let's use this morning, the next few moments, to just kind of ask God, help me be on guard against this. All right? So, with that being said, uh, verse, that first parable you see in verse 13 through 20, uh, he says, you can let, sum it up by saying, this is one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. How do I get rich toward God? What keeps us from kingdom giving? All right? So, this is where we get into verse 22. And this is when he starts talking about anxiety, worry. All right? Uh, So, let me just uh, challenge us that I think that when we read this and we read the the tone of scriptures, God is going to ask us to reduce our net worth. Let me phrase it that way God is going to ask us to reduce our net worth be generous. Alright? So what would keep that from happening? That Just that statement. When I say that, and I might say to you uh, individually, God is asking you to reduce your net worth. Why would you resist that? What would be the thoughts that would say, no. Let me, or can you interpret this some other way? Surely you don't mean exactly what you're saying in this. Uh, and so, Jesus is going to talk about that. What's going to keep that from happening? Uh, so, First thing is, do not be anxious about your life. Uh, when we find worrying, keeping in, an and, and he kind of goes two directions what you eat, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. In other words, your life was meant to do more than just eat, your body was meant to do more than just represent a style. Okay? Uh, there's much more to that. Uh, and so he gives these, these uh, powerful, lesser to greater arguments. Uh, and so we see in verse 24 consider the ravens; they neither sow nor reap they have neither storehouse nor barn yet god feeds them of how much more value are you than the birds so there's one tendency that we have when we come to loving money you you don't understand you don't have to have money to love money you need to get that in your head you don't have to have money to love money in fact many times it happens when we don't have money and one way is that we have this idea that i just need a little bit more for security so this is the person who does uh save well that, that they are constantly geared when they get money it's like oh great i can save more i can put aside a little bit more i can reduce my percentage of what we spend so that we can put it here and so but what's within this is this desire of there's going to come a day there's going to come a day when my job won't be there or there's a health crisis and there's these emergencies or a car accident and the insurance doesn't come through. There's going to come a day and I need to have it there. All right? Now that, we think that because that happens, right? That happens. But there, there is this drive to say I've got to have a little bit more so that I can feel secure. And so this is the raven uh, metaphor where he's going on with this and say, look, there's this idea that you just, man, if security and so he springs to this argument of how much more value are you than the birds the, the raven doesn't have to deal with this but God takes care of them and so what he's saying is let the money let the account let the credit card let it be replaced by God for your security we keep on reading he gives uh, another metaphor you see this in verse 27 consider the lilies how they grow they neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon, all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. So, he says, this, this, this lily, it's the like grass, it's alive in the field today, tomorrow's thrown in the oven. How much more will he clothe you? Owe you little faith. And so he's now taking another direction. There's the others who, hey, love to have money, because as soon as they get it, they spend it. It's like, yes, now I can buy, and you fill in the blank. And it's amazing now with Amazon incredible yesterday we realized we didn't have a gift that we needed to have a gift um and the stores are closed and we uh we're we're going out Friday night and uh the Saturday morning is when we were gonna have the celebration like oh my goodness we uh, what are we gonna do wife takes out the phone in the car she shows me a couple items that we could get right there boom two hours We come home, they're in bags in our house. I'm like, this is unreal, you know? This is amazing technology, you know? Malls are dropping. Malls are dropping uh, because of technology. But all that being said is that we can spend so much more efficiently nowadays. Isn't it crazy? You know, it's so painless. You know, no even cash. Some of you don't have cash, so I haven't carried cash in months and years. It's so painless. And so now when when someone says you have a certain number in your account, then what that means is I can now increase my lifestyle this much. Or now I can purchase this item. And so there is the constant shopaholic tendency that I need something new, I need something more because my security now is based on how I'm arrayed, how I look, how I appear, the feeling of something new in my mind that makes me feel good about life. We fall in one of those camps, primarily. We, our tendency is to go to one of those. And so Jesus gives these two illustrations. He says, all right, whether you're a hoarder, consider the raven. Or whether you are someone that wants to be arrayed, displayed, glorified with what you buy, or the tools you have, the cars you drive, the house, I mean, it goes any number of ways. Consider the lily. Just short life, but God... Display such splendor on these short lives. Don't be anxious about that. Don't fall in the love of money that you use money for beauty or use money for security. Don't be anxious about these things. And so you read there's a little section that we skipped in verse 25, 26. Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of their life? And this is something, when if I was preaching on worry, this is where I'd focus in a little bit. Say the worry doesn't do anything. It's kind of like uh, when you go on a treadmill, you can just go and run and run. You can sweat. Uh, you can just, you can sprint if you want to. You can go five hours on the treadmill. But when you get off, you're in the exact same spot you started. Except you're thoroughly exhausted. Worrying, Jesus is saying, cannot add a thing to your time of life or to the height that you grow. It is a useless, godless activity that reveals that your heart is not set on God, but on something else. And so we keep on reading. Verse 29 Do not seek what you're to eat, what you're to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world, seek after these things. Is money what drives you? Listen, you know what? I think that one of the things I, you need to understand is that money isn't a sin. I had a, a wealthy friend ask me one time. Uh, he said, is it wrong to have a six-figure income? And just talking with them, realizing, no, it's not wrong to have a six-figure income. But it might be wrong to have a six-figure lifestyle. To say, you have to get all the trappings of what this world says a six-figure income or plus looks like. Then you're following something the world seeks after. And so we need to understand that it's one thing to have money, but it's another thing to seek after it. To say, this is what drives you. And you know what I love? One of the things I want to pray for in our church is that God will raise up Businessmen and businesswomen who will be effective and making money. Some of you are like, that sounds good. When are we going to start praying for that? Let's, let's get together. Let's pray for that. But they would make money so that they can go through extreme measures of generosity for God's kingdom. I would, it wouldn't be wonderful if Knight Dell had businesses, for profit businesses, that were supporting nonprofit, Jesus centered acts of compassion. A nonprofit. That would be great. To take advantage of all the systems that we live in, the wealthiest country in the world, and some of the wealthiest areas of our country, and use it. Use it for God's kingdom. Anybody want to pray for that? Let's be kingdom driven, not money driven. Let's not be like the world. All the nations of the world seek after these things. Your Father knows that you need them. So let me just say, why can we have kingdom given? So we talked about some of the obstacles that keeps us from kingdom given. That, that keeps us from generosity. This, this, this idea of I want to be displayed a certain way. I want to have certain security in my life. I like to worry about these things. But what... What gives me reasons to be generous? Why can I practice kingdom giving? Well, uh, first of all, uh, verse 31. What is the most valuable thing to God the Father? As we seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. Verse 31. God is saying, look, I'm going to give you the kingdom, but I want you to seek the kingdom at the same time. Uh, So he says, verse 31, seek his kingdom. And then verse 32 is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Isn't that interesting? Are you seeking, or is it being given to you? Yes. Hasn't God given every one of you health? You've had some, I mean, you hear me, you're alive, God's given you some degree of health. But it's another thing to have health given to you, and it's another thing to seek health, right? Right? To do those things you know are good for your health, uh, and so there, a good balance is, Take the life that has been given to you, take the health that's been given to you, and then seek the health. And so what we're talking about here is the kingdom of God is, is God the Father is wanting to give it, but there's also something He's asking that He's seeking. So when we talk about how we can do kingdom giving or why to do kingdom giving, consider the fact that you've got a Father that knows your needs. Uh, you see that in verse twenty nine kn- 30. He knows your needs, and yet He's going to give you the kingdom that He wants you to seek after. So let's talk about that a little bit. How does God give us the kingdom, and what does it mean for you to seek the kingdom? Well, uh, everyone's got that person in their life that has everything, right? Uh, You know, that usually becomes uh, an older male. Why does the older male become the oldest one or the hardest one to buy gifts for? One, because they always get the stuff they want. You know, if they need it, they go ahead and buy it, and it comes Christmas time, and you're like, oh, what can I give them? And then they've got everything, and you can't think, what can I give this one? So I remember somewhere along the way, uh, I started giving my granddad food, you know. I was like, he'll enjoy this. <laughs> he's got everything else. I'm going to give him food. Uh, and so I know it's getting bad on me when people are giving me food. It's like, okay, that's the sign. I've got everything I need, and people are just looking for that, all right. Uh, and so what do you give someone that has everything? What, what do you give God? I mean, what does God need, you know? Uh, he's, there's nothing that he needs. And so when he gives something... Doesn't it seem kind of trite? If you give something, I give you, oh, I give you a million dollars. It's nothing. It's like, well, just give me nothing, you know. I'll just, I'll take some of that. But really, what, what sacrifice does God have? What is the most valuable thing to God the Father? What is the most valuable thing to God the Father? Would say, well, maybe me, no. God create me from a stone. <laughs> I mean, we, we've looked at that. If you want to raise up a people, you can raise them up from stones. What's the most valuable thing to God? Himself. Specifically, God the Son. See, God the Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. They've always been there, eternal. But there is nothing more beautiful, more magnificent, more holy than himself. And, and so God is triune, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so there's this community. His greatest thing is himself, to enjoy himself. He has enjoyed himself forever. And that just seems so arrogant to us. Because if we said that, it would be arrogant because we are not worth enjoying. There's a huge difference between ourselves and God. I bring this up. Because the most valuable thing to God the Father is God the Son. And that is exactly what God was willing to give for us to be in the kingdom of God. If there had been anything else, it would have been as no cost. It would have been as nothing to God. But for him to give himself, God the Son, so that we could be brought into the kingdom to have in that moment where God the Son said, God, you've forsaken me. There is a gap between the Father and the Son. That was the most profound moment of all the galaxies combined for eternity. And that moment where Jesus became your sin, my sin, and he gave what is most profound, precious in all of the world was slaughtered on the cross forsaken by god the father so that we could be part of the kingdom and so when he says verse 32 it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom which comes at great cost to the greatest one for eternity He's not giving you peanuts. He's not giving you the leftovers. This is not a re-gifting thing that he doesn't want. This is the only thing that matters. But in so doing, when those come into the kingdom of God and the Spirit of God comes into them, they start transforming into the image of Jesus. And so the most valuable thing to God the Father becomes multiplied over and over and over through the Holy Spirit, through the church. So... We have a Father. Why do we, why do we practice kingdom giving? Because we have a Father that knows our need, but we have a Father that's giving us the kingdom that comes at great cost. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7 says, As you excel in everything in faith and speech and knowledge and all earnestness and our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also, the act of giving. For you know, verse 9, that the grace of Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, Might become rich. Why do we practice kingdom giving? Because for us to be part of the kingdom comes at amazing sacrifice. For God to call you, you belong to Him, to call you His. It is a cost that we have never experienced. So, yes, this has been given to us, but then we're to seek it. We're to seek it. So, how do we do kingdom giving? I mean, what does that look like specifically? All right, let me seek God's kingdom. And you got this beautiful promise, so I don't have the time to elaborate. When you do that, all these things will be added to you. You don't have to worry about the clothing. You don't have to worry about the garment. You don't have to worry about security. You don't have to worry about your beauty. Your beauty is in Christ. Money doesn't have to be what drives you to create it. So, seek first the kingdom. How do you do kingdom giving? Verse 33, 32, 33. Fear not, little flock. Don't be afraid to reduce your net worth. For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. All right, well, how do I do that? Sell your possessions. When he says your, he's referring to a plural noun, a plural word there. Uh, it all follows from this little flock. Fear not, little flock. There's the shepherd, there's the father, there's the shepherd that's caring for you. But he's also saying, church, you as a church, sell your Possessions. Well, well Father, I, I'm afraid. I mean, if, if I do that, then something might come up and I don't have the means. What will I do then? God, what's your answer? 32 Fear not, little flock. Please tell me a reason. Tell me a good reason. For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Okay, what does that mean? A lot of times we think of all right, give you the kingdom, that means if, you, if God's entrusted in us and challenges us to bless someone and to give to somebody in need, then we have this thought, okay, if I do that, then, then God sees it, he's aware of it, and he's going to meet my needs, and I'm going to get a check in the mail that's going to be uh, anonymous, and it's going to come my way, and God's just going to meet my needs that way. And God can and has done that. But I would say to you that looking at the wording of this text, that might not be the primary intent of what he's saying here. He's saying, little flock. Who's the little flock today? What does that look like? It's called church. Fear not, church. God is giving you the kingdom. What does that look like today? It looks like the church right now. Church isn't a kingdom, the kingdom's bigger than that. But for right now, It looks like an assembly of people that have been redeemed by the Savior, Jesus Christ, living for his glory. Why should I not be afraid to do what he's saying? Because he's given us the kingdom, and it looks like green pines. (laughs) I'm just going to... I'm just going to introduce something to you that is foreign to church as we know it. But I think it's as church as the Bible is teaching it. And it's the church as was practiced from the get-go. What if there was a need that came up? A needy situation in our town. Maybe a segment of people. Maybe it's Young mothers, they're trying to make a decision whether they should have babies or not. And the moms, dads are kicking them out. Boyfriends are crushing them. And they've got this huge need. Or what if it's children? They don't have parents and they're in the foster care system. But it, 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 we see these in our, in our society. What if as a church we say, hey, you know, we can do something about this. Let's, let's meet a need, but it's going to require much more funds than, than $300 more in the budget. What are we going to do? I, I think that as we're reading this, there's this idea that as we follow the king and he's saying let's go there, then there is, hey, let's just sell some stuff. Let's sell some things that we have until we have enough money to meet the need. And then someone would say, well, if I sell that piece of land, if I sell that house, if I sell that vehicle, if I sell these clothes, if I sell these things, then that means I won't have that for 15, 20 years from now. Or if some emergency comes up, then I can't get rid, or I don't have that security anymore. Isn't that what we'd be thinking? That's what I'm thinking. I don't think I'm foreign in it. I think that we're enough alike to say, yeah, we're probably thinking the same thing. But what if Jesus' intention is, "Yeah, that's right, but I've given you the church." So you say maybe I should ask the church, but that's only what needy people do. Surely, benevolence. That's uh, not me. Why? Why is it not you? What if it was God's intention that the churches to work and operate in a society in such a way that they needed the resources that God has given to the people? I mean, we live in a society where insurance is expected, and we're not altogether sure how it's going to be. What did people do before there was insurance? I mean, some of you may remember those days. What did people do before there was insurance? Have we become so institutionalized that we've lost maybe some of the heartbeat of kingdom living and resources and money? What if this was supposed to be the insurance company? You see what I'm saying? We are far removed. We are far removed from what is taught by Jesus Christ. Let me just keep on reading. Sell your possessions. How do we do kingdom giving? Well, sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourself with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not Fell where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. It seems to me, as best I can read verse 33, that when I want to see how do I flesh out kingdom living, kingdom giving, it looks like generosity. It looks like an openness to say, when there's a need, I need to ask myself, God, why should I not give? That's not what we ask, is it? It's not what I typically ask. I, I ask, God, should I give that? But do we ever ask, why should I not give? Let me just give you a couple of guidelines I've read. For not giving. Whenever we renounce someone's plea or refuse to meet a need that we say, uh, that we see, we should be able to say honestly. I'm refusing because of the great love God has for me because I delight so much in His mercy. Let me say that again. To say no to a plea, I need to be able to say at the same time, I'm saying no to this plea because I'm delighting in the mercy and love of God. And if I indulge in this need, it's going to hurt their love of God and mercy of God, to know the mercy of God. Or... Of all our money and possessions, we should be able to say, I retain possession of this because of how much God is worth to me. There is a divine plan to retain certain possessions because of God's worth to us to love our family, to minister them, to care for them. There is wisdom in Proverbs of planning ahead. These are not to be negated, but to be held in tension with this question first, how can I be generous? And at the same time, love God and love His mercy and in withholding a a plea to say, I still love God and I still hold on to His mercy. As I read this, I, I hope you feel tension and I'm sure This message, like very few others, will probably create a little bit of discussion with me. Pastor, really, you know, can we soften that up? Or what about this? Or what about that? And you're going to look for these exceptions to this. Um, And I think that perhaps maybe it's because we are dealing with blindness of loving money. Let me just say from Colossians. In chapter 3, it warns us not to live to this world. This world's dying, and we've died to this world. But all that's in this world, the sexual passions and lust and covetousness, it says in verse 5, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. The love of money and covetousness is something held very seriously by God. Another passage that we'll read, he is very clear in saying, you either love God or you love money. And I say this message because I think that we can be blind to it, and I think I have struggled with this passage, and asking God, you know, really, how can this be in my heart and life, because there has been whole areas of love of stuff, love of materials, love of money. I think that when we're living with credit card debt, that keeps us from being generous. It perhaps, maybe, is a very obvious sign that there is a love of money going on in our life. Why do I bring this out? Your heart, your soul, needs to float, and the channel's deep enough. I remember sometimes I go kayaking on the Neuse River, and sometimes I just go when I can, when it's nice and feels the weather's nice. And sometimes it's not because the water's deep. And there's been sections in a little kayak where I'm like, oh, are you really serious? I got to get out. I got to push this thing. But when you get to the deeper waters, you can flow effortlessly sometimes. I think that our heart, our soul was meant for the kingdom of God. And when we start living for money and when comfort and the next increase to make our life more enjoyable, we unknowingly are slipping into shallow waters. And our souls are eternal. And it will rub against the temporal materials of this world. Your soul being eternal was meant for eternal things. And one way to get there is to embrace what God has done in bringing you into the kingdom and let what He's done saturate your heart so that generosity is a joy and a delight. Did you know generosity can be a joy and delight? And there is where your soul is meant to float for eternity. And so, if last week I invited you to pray for God to change our desires, that we would want to be generous, I'm going to ask that we pray and ask God to conquer our fears that keeps us for generosity. Knowing they're there, he's greater than our fears. Let's pray.